Hey guys, just a heads up, this is a not safe for work podcast, so keep it in your pants until you won't get busted. <laughs> Orgasmic Terrorist, a podcast about acceptance around becoming authentic within our sexual exploration. Orgasmic Terrorist. Thank you for joining us here on Orgasmic Tourist today. Before we dive into this episode, we want to issue a trigger warning for potentially sensitive content that may be discussed. This episode may contain discussions about topics that can be distressing and triggering, including the following domestic violence, mental and emotional abuse, sexual assault and rape, sexual acts, suicide, and child abuse. We want to prioritize your well being above all else. Please do not feel obligated to listen to this episode if you believe it may be harmful or distressing for you. Your mental and emotional health are incredibly important to us here at Orgasmic Terrorist. If you choose to continue listening, please ensure that you have a support system in place or seek professional help if needed. Thank you for your understanding and take care of yourselves always. Welcome to Orgasmic Terrorist. Jenna and Sarah's here. Hi, guys. So... I'm so excited about today. Ah, I have been on the search for a submissive to come online and talk to us. And one of my friends has agreed. I'm so excited. So I'd like to introduce Charlie. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Hey, Charlie. We're so glad that you're here with us. And Sarah and I have been doing this whole season on BDSM. And we've been lucky enough to get so many interviews. And you were the one that agreed to do the submissive interview. So we really wanted to thank you for that. And I am just super excited to hear everything that you have to say, because I also identify as a submissive, though I didn't think everybody wanted to hear me being interviewed over the same shit that I always say all the time. So <laughs> You have been in the lifestyle for quite a long time. You do showmanship pieces, you teach, you do all sorts of stuff. And um, I just think that this is just going to be super informational for all of our people. So I'm just thank you so much for being willing to come on and being willing to go through some of these questions. So okay. we're so grateful that you're here, Charlie. Would you mind filling us in a little bit more about you as who you are, what you do and what you like and why you're here? Okay. I've been in the Portland scene since about 2000. I've been in active BDSM since about 89. Obviously, there wasn't a lot of public BDSM at that point, or what I like to call what it is that we do, as opposed to just BDSM. Although I was thinking about it recently when I knew I was going to be doing this, and I realized that my first experience was in the mid-1970s when I was about 12. I got tied up by another 12-year-old. That made me be aware that there was definitely something going on. And of course, I wasn't active in those activities for quite a while after that until much later. But in Portland, I've been involved in the scene through the PLA and private parties and meeting different people and private play and public play. As you mentioned, I've been involved as a volunteer in a lot of organizations, educating and volunteering. And for a long time, did registration at uh, KingFest, which is great because it's a chance to see a lot of people, meet a lot, a lot of people at least once a year, <laughs> and help people get acclimated to a very exciting, gigantic event that's going to blow their socks off. I still remember my first one way back when. I have um, not been yet. Oh, my goodness. It's it's quite an Alice in Wonderland kind of thing. Well, I have the outfit for that. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I've seen that outfit a few times <laughs> in, in different places. Yeah, I, it's a, something that I found out was me. And I mentioned I am a submissive. It's a part of me. It's a piece of me. It's in me. 
whether I'm actively submitting to someone in a role that's 24-7 or at a party for the length of that party, it's something that I do. And I differentiate it clearly from bottoming in play, though it's obviously interconnected, submissives bottom a lot. <laughs> Some of the things I do and have done in the scene are service is a submission, is a form of uh, giving and uh, I get a lot of pleasure from that. And uh, yeah, I think we talk a lot about service tops, but not mm-hmm. a lot about service bottoms. So I'm glad that you brought that up mm-hmm. because acts of service can be both ways. And I think that mm-hmm. I fall into that category as well, though mm-hmm. not quite the same way that you do. <laughs> as a submissive, when I was bottoming, I would often endure a lot of discomfort and pain. In fact, I used the term subdurance to take what the the dominant was giving me as a gift to them and uh, endure it and not enjoy it. I'm not a masochist, so I don't process pain into pleasure. As some masochists I know, some slaves I know, some submissives I know do, I will endure it for them as part of my submission. Wow. But when I bottom, it's different. When I bottom, I like to get something out of it that I enjoy too. The best situation, of course, the perfect situation is when what's being done to me gives great pleasure and joy to the top or the dominant while I get great pleasure and joy from having it done to me. So that's the perfect symbiosis when that happens. And I have a couple of tops that I play with for whom that's the case where they really enjoy doing to me what I enjoy having them to me. So I think that's incredible. I love the term that you just coined, which was subdurance. Yeah. Uh, This is a topic that Sarah and I have discussed actually this entire season because I know that I get into the endurance mindset and it's can be problematic for sure because then it becomes this test of wills within my brain and not a healthy pathway. For me, it goes back to a trauma response where it's I've had worse in my childhood. I can endure this. I might not necessarily be liking it, but I am being submissive to my Dom who is clearly enjoying themselves. Yeah. Mind blown that you, and actually you and I have another person in common who also feels that way. And we had a large discussion about that too, with it's just like this endurance mindset for some trauma responses for people. And we want to say that that's not always the healthiest thing and acknowledge Mm. that, but yeah, thank you for coining that term. I'm never not going to use that going forward. (laughs) That's okay. I will every time. (laughs) Don't worry about it. (laughs) Words are for communicating. So we have to have them. That was beauty, subdurance. All right, people, we've learned new vocabulary word, Sarah. Yes. Put it in the glossary. Put it in our glossary. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So what would, in a submissive versus bottom, because you've said that you delineate between the two. mm -hmm. Can you explain that a little bit more? If you're on the bottom, you may slide into a subdurance because of your top. Are we saying that's not really where you ever want to go, but you will? Yeah, it's interesting. I was a collared submissive for a while. and. In that context, I actually didn't have that much play with my dominant. Okay. I served her a lot. I served her with, when she was playing with other people, bringing her toys, bringing uh, the bottom or the submissive water, helping out, being here for this, being there for that, but not actually being played with. In fact, that was one of the things that eventually led to my decolouring was the sense that I was being a good submissive a lot, but I wasn't getting to bottom a lot. So I felt like there was something missing. 
I, I wasn't getting any play. You know, I wasn't getting that. And I was enjoying the submission because I do. I enjoy that gift, giving that gift. It wasn't enough. So with play as a bottom, and it's evolved, and a part of it's evolved because I've also, as when I was a color permissive, which was coming up on a decade ago now, I was in a better physical place where I could take a little bit more physical pain to subdue, as it were. Now, I'm a little bit of a softer bottom, is how I've been described. <laughs> I can't take as much. I, I, I would have a harder time subduing. Well, that's a piece of it. But when I'm bottoming as a submissive, I'm not expecting necessarily to really, I don't want to use the word enjoy it, but I'm not necessarily expecting to get a lot of pleasure from it. What I will get from it undoubtedly is endorphins, which are pleasurable, serotonin, which is pleasurable, all those physical things that will happen. But I might not psychologically like what's being done to me. Gotcha. But I am enduring it and will get through it because that's part of being submissive at that moment. As a bottom, I will no normally negotiate that the things that are being done to me are things I'm also going to like, as well as getting those endorphins, all those good things happening. The scene will be structured from negotiation to get to a place where I really had fun and had all those physical things happen that I enjoyed. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's, you know, we try and get clarity for people that mm. may not have the ability to have conversations in their mm. vanilla lives about yeah. and around all types of relationships, obviously. And I think it's so important that the myth of the dominance being in control of the mm. scenes be dispelled and mm -hmm. really communicate in a healthy way so that people have a better understanding. I think the majority of for people that don't have any education or insight or availability to really learn, whether it's religious or shame or whatever it is, whatever they're not being able to do, the idea is that submissives are just getting the crap beat out of them. They have no say, you know, it's very misogynistic. It's what, or it's, un, it's like a dominatrix that's just super unhealthy and beating these poor men that our minds are shattered or all this garbage rhetoric. Yeah. Stuff that you don't so the media messages are horrible. I think uh, that the core thing is that the submissive and the bottom are always in charge. They have the ultimate power. Uh, outside, outside of a, an unhealthy relationship, an uneducated relationship or an authentic master-slave relationship, which can be negotiated differently. The submissive must be, must be negotiated differently. Uh, yeah. The submissive can always say no, can always say stop. The submissive and the bottom can always say whatever their safe word is, whatever their means of saying no is, even if it means having to leave, they can always say no. And that's the power of the submissive. They really are or should be if they know they can be in control yeah. of the situation. Very important message. They need to know that. They need to, it's symbiotic. As you've spoken about many times, communication is absolutely critical. Yeah. It's, and that's that part of, the, I think, the negotiation leading into. It doesn't yeah. have to be like this. It very much can be. I don't want to disparage or say this is not the right way because it does happen. It can very much be, especially if uh, you guys are more scene related or house party or whatever, mm -hmm. you pick up partners. I don't do that. So my negotiations look different than what you guys would experience picking up somebody that you don't know, the questions, the vetting, all the stuff. You know, I have a long-term dom and my negotiation is, mm, dad. 
everybody. I had really like, you know, the X, Y, Z tonight. And just that type of stuff where it's, I'm saying what I want and getting it out there. And whether it's then turns into a legit conversation or not, it's still something that is discussed. I still say what my needs are, or if there isn't any necessary or particular negotiation, there's still a lot of communication while (laughs) things are happening. Oh yeah. I think it's really important that everybody knows that. I'm really glad that you brought that up. One of the things in my play is that in public, I try to be more toppy or a service top, but I'm a sub privately. I like being kind of like Jenna, where it's like, it's the pre-negotiations are already done. The safe words are already in place and my limits are pushed. I haven't used any of my safe words or were pushed to some levels that taught me a lot about myself. So I enjoy being a submissive privately. Publicly, I haven't done that yet. <laughs> I actually, to one of our friends, Carly, to one of our friends, they, I had them do impact play at a re- recent public party on me. And that was a big statement for myself that I could show that subby side and have my three beautiful welts for mm-hmm. two and a half weeks. <laughs> but that was an experience to put my, go into my body publicly. That mm-hmm. was really weird for me, but I enjoyed it and I'll probably do it again, but I still like being on top. <laughs> publicly. That's okay. So everybody has to have their place. I found I had a lot less communication during the times that I was a submissive, a lot less negotiation when I was a submissive than when I'm a bottom, because the role grants a lot of what I'll riskily call implied consent as a submissive. And it may be more true or more or safer perhaps as a male submissive than a female submissive i and it goes back to trust of course i give to my dominant a level of permission that comes with trust in how they'll use that so i don't feel like i need yeah i don't feel like i need to negotiate what toys can be used on me or where we can go or how far we can go i trust that the bottom line is always don't break your toys Oh no! Yeah, she can hurt. She can harm me rather than just hurting me. But the result might be that we're done, and then that's a loss for her. So the implication is, the no, the known truth is that she won't, and that applies to tops. My tops as well. One of my tops wanted. I don't know what your level of swearing allowed is, but she wanted to mind fuck me at a a party, and she came in with a, a battery, a car battery. Oh, this is for our scene. And it's like, it didn't work, work though, because I knew what was possible and what wasn't possible. What could, what could, ha- what could happen and what couldn't happen. So it, it wasn't like I'd ever told her, you can't do a, you, you can't use a car battery on me. It was just obvious that she wouldn't. So, I don't know, because I feel like Sarah needs to have a car battery for some of her. Sometimes you wonder. Sometimes you wonder. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> My those muscle are, gun is amazing. Those are powerful. Dear Lord, I'm always scared it's going to screw up my clit sensitivity. So I'm a big baby. Won't take that. <laughs> there you go. How has your journey as a submissive influenced your understanding of the power dynamics and consent? Since we are really big on consent, consent and consent and more consent. <laughs> I think it's incredibly important, obviously. And I, I think consent has evolved as I've evolved. And consent, I think, even evolves in each relationship as you have it. 
So my earliest DS relationship as a submissive, I think I gave early consent. And as I said, I didn't negotiate as I kept moving through the relationship. I just simply endured things if I felt they were something I really didn't like. And usually there was communication after a given scene. And what did you think of that? And it's like, I really hated that toy. Just didn't do anything for me. And in most cases, that would mean that toy wouldn't be used again unless the dominant wanted to use that toy for a specific purpose, which was to punish or cause me discomfort as opposed to pleasure, which is a part of the relationship too sometimes. I recall one scene, and this was not with someone that had an official DS relationship within that power dynamic, but she was mentoring both myself and little M at the time, my partner, my wife. And um, I don't even recall what I had done wrong, but I had done something wrong. I had either disobeyed or failed in some capacity. And she had me lean over a, a sawhorse, and she hit me with something incredibly large and heavy and hard, and literally knocked me and the sawhorse over. Wow. And, I, and this was at a place that no longer exists called the barn. And I gave a scream that literally reverberated through that place. There was zero pleasure in that moment. There was zero physical positivity in that moment. There was very little psychological positivity in that moment. I don't think there was enough warm-up to create any good endorphins. I think there was a definite amount of adrenaline that probably got peaked in that moment. But it wasn't. I would never have consented to that. Had she said, I'm about to hit you with this as hard as I possibly can. But at the same time, I did not consider it in that moment a violation of my consent. Because my consent to her was, I'll bend over and you'll do whatever you're going to do. So I've evolved past the point where I would continue to be a submissive or bottom to somebody who did that to me. So that's an evolution that's taken place that I think I learned from that moment that things can go too far. I think that as I've evolved as a submissive, I've come to appreciate the fact that I am or should always be in control. I should always be able to say no, or that was too much. That was a single moment in time, so I didn't get a chance to say, it wasn't going to happen a second. There wasn't going to be a, there wasn't going to be a thank you, ma'am, I'll have another on that one. But disgusting too is how important it is to look at consent as an evolutionary thing. Especially, I think the mono people out there, monogamous people, yeah. people don't understand consent within their own sexual relationships too. As mm. a wife, you give consent to your husband for the rest of your life. As a husband, you give consent to your wife for the rest of your life when really that just is not inherently healthy idea to have because then it mm. goes into that mindset of never being able to say, I don't feel like having sex. It goes into the, I have a headache, goes into the, I'm not in the mood or I've pulled my, or whatever that is. And so it's such an important thing to look at it as this, again, ongoing communication, an evolutionary thing, knowing that you have every right and ability and should be all very safe and secure in giving it or rescinding it without fear of reprisal, shaming, any of the things. So Consent really is all things. And mm -hmm. I'm so grateful it, how you prose that. 
Yep. It, it reminds me of actually another instance that happened. Um, this is quite a while ago. This is probably uh, 20 years ago. I was uh, playing with a dominant who was my, we had in-party DS relationship. She would call her me at the beginning of the party. I'd literally kneel and hand her the collar. She'd put it around me. I was her submissive for the duration of that party. At the end of the party, I'd kneel. She'd take it off. That was the time frame of RDS in that context. And during the course of the party, I don't remember exactly what the play situation was, but at one point she was fondling my genitalia and I came, which is fairly rare. And it was very rare then because there wasn't usually a lot of sexuality involved in RDS play as a scene. We didn't have a lot of sex going on in the scene. And then, and I don't know if, I think it was an, it was an accident that I came and she fed it to me and I took it because I'm submissive. That's what you do. And then I think it was later that night. It might've been after she'd uncolored me, but it might've even been while I was uncolored. Her partner came up to me and said, were you okay with that? And it was like, like why the fuck are you asking first of all it's too late second of all it's none of your business third of all i'm a submissive that's what i do um, but i think it bothered him more than it bothered me i don't know if you i'm not sure about the relevance of that but it's no, I love that, actually. <laughs> it brings up a really good point because i was <clears throat> taking in your story i guess people don't see that oh in that role you were thinking this is what i'm doing to service her but the reality was is that you didn't get anything out of it other than you gave your top that experience. And I could see where the discomfort was for the other partner. I don't, I don't think I could have done that. I think I would have said yeah. something. Well, wait a minute. Uh, yeah. We had never discussed it and there'd been no, no sexual contact with us at all prior to that or after it was just something that, and that's why I'm pretty sure it was accident that I came in that moment. And she probably didn't expect it, but that was her. I think that was probably her punishment for my coming in that context is like and again the piece of that's different is that used to be almost different worlds although there is mainstream socialized fantasy of sexual ds and all that's been in the media forever but in what it is that we do we didn't have a lot of sex going on we had a lot of bondage and discipline and things like that sex has gotten a lot more into the scene both because of all those media images and socialization and also i think because the venues where we're doing our bdsm are unfortunately sex play venues so the things get blurred yeah i think that you bring up a really good point because of our age difference i and my experience is only five years Versus you have a very long history with that. And so my experience has been DS in a sexual nature, not to think that, oh, it's bottom only. And you're right. It is that whole language is what I kind of how I was introduced to it. So I think that that's a really important thing to say. Everything is evolving and everything yeah. changes. So for me, I think within how you grew up through this community, I would then much more be a bottom because I do, and I'm a masochist for sure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I guess I was just, it's, I love having these different ideologies or storylines or all the things because it has, it's an evolution constantly. And I think one of the things that's causing a lot of the problems with consent in the BDSM community is how much sex there is in it because the consent around sex is so much more complicated and severe and the consequences of it 
are so much more severe than the consent around hitting somebody with a paddle a little too hard. Yes, they're both consent violations on some level, but the difference between hitting somebody with a paddle too hard and raping them is a thousand miles. Little bit. <laughs> yeah. Just little little bit. bit. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for that. That's really important. I think that we get that out there, that view and that understanding out there. So I'm just going to ask, yeah. what ways do you feel submission fulfills your emotional bottom or however you want to answer this? What uh, ways does your submission fulfill your emotional and psychological needs? And how do you maintain a healthy balance between your vulnerability and your emotional well-being when you're within that headspace? I think for me, it's, a, it's absolutely important that it's the choice of partner. I don't think... I could randomly submit to anyone I didn't know very well. I couldn't randomly submit to anyone I didn't feel I trusted. And that's where the vulnerability comes in. Um, I can submit and feel empowered for having submitted, not feeling any fear that my submission will be misused or abused. So I, as I submit, I feel positiveness flows to me for what I've done, for what I've given, and whatever joy I can give the dominant as their role in the power exchange. I've given, I've loaned power to the dominant. I haven't given it to them permanently, obviously. And so that's the dynamic. My headspace is usually very good around the activities in topping and bottoming. I think there were times in the past when I sometimes had a lot more subdrop than I have these days, probably because I evolved into understanding it and not being worried about it. The chemicals that we get out of this, out of the play and out of the giving, they're just so powerful. It's great stuff. These are our drugs and I don't abuse them. I have seen some people in the scene who probably do abuse them. They just want so much more of that drug. Give me more of that drug. Give me more of that drug. I get just the amount I feel like I need and it buzzes me along and I have fun with it. I love that. That's, That's what it's meant to be. It's meant to be healing. It's meant yeah. to be mommy, yummy, good, yeah. all the stuff. It's unfortunate that it's not that way for so many. So, and again, yeah what Sarah and I and you are helping us do will set that understanding like the, yeah. let's set the bar let's talk about boundaries let's talk yeah. about all of these things that are so appropriate and so okay and I do really appreciate having the ability to give platform to an older guard as mm -hmm. you are mm -hmm. within that thing and I'm not talking about age I'm talking no, about no, like, I'm, old and, I'm old <laughs> I admit it I'm you old in both ways I don't believe in any age. Age is relative. That's how many yeah. times your body's gone around the sun. Fuck the rest yeah. of it. But I think that Sarah and I on our discovery through this whole thing, we've talked about BDSM or whatever ideology you want to call it within pop culture and what it's saying to people. And what we have found has been like inherently the message is it's either the person that is receiving is damaged in mm -hmm. some way. So you get to show it kind of, you talk about it though, and it's hot and steamy for mononormative people, but it's at bay because the character that this is happening to, there's something wrong with them. Or it's made into a campy thing. So then maybe you get more visual. Like we were talking about Exit to Eden with Rosie O'Donnell mm. and Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> so you'll get to see more of the toys or more of somebody getting spanked. But it's in this campy, funny way. Then you go into TV and every huge series 
has went in there. And again, it's never really shown in this positive, healthy way and how it actually does help people heal, how it helps people become stronger, more more trustworthy, how it has people drop their egos in their lives and remain curious and consent and boundaries and showing up for yourself and all these wonderful things. It's just poo-pooed. So I just I wish there was more old guard out there. And I, man, I've been to the clubs and I understand why it would get tiring. My God, I don't go very often. And even I'm like, none of you actually should be here. None of you. <laughs> oh my God. What is happening? It's just, it to me, it feels like scene queen. Like that's yeah. all it is. It's just this big scene. And I literally watched a guy at VR for probably two solid hours. And Charlie, you were there that night. Mm-hmm. You were upstairs providing <laughs> tutorials. I was downstairs kind of just, holy shit, there's so much to see here, people watching. And there was a guy that literally for, t- I'm going to say almost two hours, had one gal over one of the spank benches mm-hmm. and just same stance for two hours. And I was like, what? The female looked bored or she looked like it wasn't doing anything. And then he just didn't look like it was doing anything for him either. So I was just, what is the purpose of this two hour, same stance, same rhythm, same beat? I like endurance is great. And if that's your thing, that's fine. It just didn't come off as anything to me other than seeing. Yeah. And seeing and seeing. And <laughs> maybe that's the kink instead of BDSM. It is, I want to be seen. I want to have people watch me that type of thing. And that's fine, but I just wouldn't go as far as to include that in what it is that we do. Yeah. yeah, You are hitting somebody over and over and that's fine, but I, okay, whatever you want to call it. But I think that is with the rise of the sex clubs coming back. Mm -hmm. I think that's the gist that everybody gets now. Whereas if you have more experience with house parties, you can get your nose smacked. You can get your hand smacked and you're going to be corrected real fast. Mm -hmm. You'll be told, Sarah, you've had experiences where coming in as a newbie, didn't know what the rules are. And you were told, hey, this is no, this is a yes. I would be a baby going to some of these house parties because I would also be like, oh, sorry. (laughs) I didn't know. (laughs) But I wish that there was more. I think that they try to do a good job, but there's so many freaking people and there's two floors and there's 17,000 rooms. And I think that safety goes, that's what they're trying to monitor for is just making sure everybody kind of feels safe, but you're not getting, unless you are putting in time because you're seriously interested in, you're not taking classes, you're not doing the research on your own. You're not finding material to support or, or disregard or educate. You're just doing these things. And that's what I think feels like now when you go to these clubs is you're just doing these things. You're not appropriate. You're not trying to learn and educate. This isn't necessarily your thing. It's cute and it's hot and it's something to do on a Saturday every once in a while. It's a spank bank thing. Go and watch people, you know, whatever that is. And I'm not shitting on any of that, but when we're trying to educate, I want to make it very clear that there is a level of true. And then there is a level of Made for TV. Made for sure. <laughs> buy on TV or as seen on TV. And that's <laughs> kind of what I think everybody gets educated yeah. on is the as seen for on TV. Yeah. Well, that's why I, 
to add to that, I think one of the things that I've taken away from that is the fact that you don't see somebody going to, you know, it wasn't until I was at a house party that I saw subspace, somebody mm. go into subspace and then how to handle it. So they, you don't get that in these public dungeons or education thing. You don't get to see that person transcend into whatever they're looking to get to. I know for a fact that when I went to VR once, we purposely went for somebody to be impacted by one of the areas local and then we already planned that they were going to hit subspace or when they did then what the fallouts were like we we're going to all do a cuddle puddle for aftercare and things like that so that was what their intention was is they were intending on going into subspace and that was planned and negotiated i don't see that now the couple times i've been back i don't see it at all as much and it's sad and you're right i made for tv thing is a perfect example. It's shitty because you have to have a modicum of talk. You have to have it out there. So it's not like I don't appreciate the bone toss in these made for TV things, movies, whatever, but damn, (laughs) it's so frustrating because even so just for me personally, only being in this for five years, I want to grow and I want to know, and I want education around it. And it has been anything worth doing isn't always necessarily easy. And I think that it shows how bad you really are serious or how much you're interested in with how, what level you're going to go to continue on when you hit the first wall. And it's not you like all your eggs were in this one basket and now we got to start over. So I'm totally fine with that. I just, yeah, I just wish there was just more out there. Hopefully there will be, hopefully it'll come back where there, there used to be a lot more education, live education where you could see things happen and learn about them. Tastings? There, beyond tastings, the PLA used to have workshops once a month on different subjects. I was at bottom for a couple of them, learning about mummification, learning about caning, learning about anal play, learning about this, learning about that, and a chance to watch, learn about it, watch it being done, ask questions, talk to the person who had it done to them, understand more about it. All very positive educational experiences that gave people an opportunity beyond a taste. You can't do a mummification tasting. You need an hour and a half workshop to really understand what's going on with that. And I love that. That's, I wish. That's, that's, I w- well, you know what? I just bought this beautiful, amazing house, Sarah, with all this <laughs> stuff out here. Maybe I'll start doing tastings at our house and get it out there again. I can't yeah. even imagine. My neighbors would just be, they would die. <laughs> Actually, some of them would die and some of them would say, hey, how do you get invited to this? At my neighborhood where I live, it's a little right and a little way oh, too yeah. non-understanding. But it's always those closeted ones that really blow your mind. So Sometimes. Maybe we would. I won't name any names in my neighborhood, but I have a few no. opinions of who might show up. That's what you want. Awesome. So I wanted yeah. to go back to our questions and thank yeah. you. I think you did a wonderful job all day. It's just been amazing. I love all this stuff. So moving on, have you encountered any challenges or obstacles in embracing your submissive identity? I feel that one of the things that I've noticed, and it's been pointed out to me many times, and I've noticed it a few times on my own, there seems to be, and it's not that I have specific people I can refer to this to, but it seems like there is among male dominant a significant lack of respect for male submissives as a role and even as the people themselves as the and some of this probably comes 
from the fact that a lot of male dominants are just assholes, using male dominance as an excuse for their assholinity. Preach. But I think it's also probably coming from security about their dominance versus why can somebody be secure in their submissiveness if I'm insecure in my dominance. But often, uh, and one place I did see this was sometimes in um, BDSM organizations, male dominance, male submissives sometimes have a hard time getting their points across, getting their arguments heard, because the male dominance feel like their dominance as the role in BDSM somehow gives them superlative knowledge, control, and power organizationally. Like, you have to, you shut up. Your opinion on this subject is not important because you're just a submissive. And it's, that's got nothing to do with this brochure, nothing to do with this communications plan, nothing to do with the pricing structure for this event. It's, it's totally irrelevant, but you're letting your topness and your dominance shine through into it. So I have seen that on occasion. I think do you think that it's top and dominance or do you think it's ego? Insecurity? I think, I think yeah. it's ego and insecurity, but I think they use their dominance. They wield their dominance and their dominant role as though it has more prestige and power outside of scene and outside of their individual DS relationship with their individual submissive. And basically it's something that submissives, especially new and I don't want to say dumb ones, but new and uneducated ones sometimes try to be submissive to everyone, even people who they try to enforce, they try to force their submissiveness on, especially male submissives try to do this to female doms. They try to make everyone their mistress and create an implied role that doesn't exist. And I think in some way, the male dominants try to do that to the submissive. You shall submit to me. No, you're not my dominant. I don't have to fucking submit to you. Yeah. <laughs> the, the female doms have gotten it so much, they're very good at it. They're like, Go the fuck away, worm. You're not my submissive, but uh, it, you know it's there. It, it's the trying to create the role before you have established it and negotiated it and made it real for the two of you, or three of you, however many. But you know what I'm saying. It's not. It's not there yet, and you can't just title doesn't make it. It's the same submissives who will write in lowercase to people as though that creates some sort of relationship. I write cubby two lowercase letters and two two uppercase letters and a lowercase letter and it's part of that identity but i would i don't enforce that on anybody who doesn't already have their dominance over me yeah yeah okay just breathe life relationship and intimacy coaching are you struggling with trauma or relationship issues do you feel like you're stuck in patterns that are holding you back from living your best life if so it's time to take the next step towards healing and growth. Hi, my name is Jenna. I'm a life relationship and intimacy coach with over four years of experience helping individuals and couples overcome complex challenges related to intimacy, sexuality, and communication. I specialize in working with clients who have alternative relationships, clients that struggle with trauma, and teaching communication skills. Together, we can create a safe and supportive space for healing and growth and help you build the skills and tools you need to move forward with greater resilience and self-compassion. As a relationship coach, I also provide practical tools and communication strategies that can help you strengthen your connection and build a deeper, more fulfilling relationship. Whether you're struggling with conflict, feeling disconnected, or simply looking to deeper your connection with your partners, I'm here to help. I believe everyone deserves to have happy, healthy, fulfilling relationships and a satisfying sex life. And I'm committed to helping my clients achieve those goals. 
If you're ready to take the next step towards greater intimacy, connection, and pleasure, I invite you to schedule a consultation with me today. You can do this by visiting my website at justbreathewithjenna.com. I offer a free 30-minute intro session. Help is only a click away. Let me help you find the answers that are right for you. So moving along, how do you establish and maintain a strong foundation of trust with your dominant partners? Now you play with dominant Mm -hmm. females. So how do you establish and maintain a strong foundation? That is absolutely and unequivocally about communication. Communication before, communication during, communication after. I find really good tops and dominants a sense of what's going on in scene and in relationship and pick up on issues and ask the question in a scene that's basically just leaning down and saying is everything okay how's it going things like that checking in exactly in relationship it's exactly the same thing it's like checking in every now and then and saying hey how are we doing things like that and it doesn't have to be a de-escalate in any relationship you need to check in every now and then just make sure everything is still up to par pre-communication obviously that's a negotiation communication but also just talking about likes and dislikes which is a form of negotiation on a higher level than opening up your toy bag and saying, which toys do you like? I think the absent and toy bag negotiations we can talk about is one of my favorite forms of negotiation. The post-communication, I think, is the most lacking. Just like nobody sends thank you notes anymore. I have a drawer uh, full of thank you notes. Thank you notes. Hey, when I was job hunting, the thank you note is the most powerful thing to do. I would have one with me when I was interviewing and I would walk out and finish writing it and put it in the mail before I got home. But it, the thank you note equivalent in a scene is to check in the next day, not just to check in to make sure the person's okay, but that next level of, and I've had a couple of great dominants who ask this question, what did you like? What didn't you like? What do you want more of? What do you want less of? What was missing? All around structuring future scenes to be even better. Yeah. It's essentially a form of negotiating the next scene off of the end of the last scene. But the, the powerful thing is if you have an ongoing relationship like that, whether it's dominant submissive or top bottom, you never have to worry about in-scene renegotiation. You just know that's something we'll do next time. And you don't try to force it into this scene because you know there is a next time. And one of the big consent, one of the big consent violations I hear about is in scene renegotiation and things going too far. Why did they go too far? Because they wanted to get it in this time. What is what's wrong with waiting till next time, having something else to do? You don't get to ride every time. That is such a very in yes, a thousand percent. When we did our interview with a dominatrix, that was a question that we asked them was if somebody, if you have a client come to you and mid whatever, they want to add something. And she was like, absolutely not because we did not pre-negotiate. So I will acknowledge and we can have the conversation after for next time, but I am not renegotiating consent mid scene. And I just, I had never, it's not something I thought about. No. And then I had to think, was I guilty of that? Yeah. I think I probably have been. And now I need to (laughs) understand that Jenna doesn't always get her cake, all of it. Yeah. She's getting cake. She's yeah. happy with that. <laughs> Ice cream comes next time. Ice cream's next time. <laughs> yeah. For the dom- for the professional dominant uh, dominatrix, especially, it's yeah. a two edge. It's two pieces. It's yes, she protects herself against consent problems, and she has follow on business. Yes, which is part of her structure. You are not wrong. You are not wrong. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I just want to love everybody and just think that they're all just the sweetest person ever. And yeah. <laughs> it for it's all everybody. good. It's all good. <laughs> so how do you reconcile any potential conflicts or discrepancies between your everyday life and your submissive desires? Are you pretty compartmentalized now where it's just like, I have hubby and I have my real life. Is it integrated? Oh, like how do you? It's like? interesting because one of the things that I ended up pointing out to somebody in a whole different conversation around work is, hey, no matter what position you're at in the company, you are submissive to somebody. Even the CEO is submissive to either the board of directors or the stockholders, but everybody from the top to the bottom is submissive to somebody. It's a submissive role. You can't be a belligerent, dummy person at work because you have to answer to people. If you want to succeed, if you're going to be obnoxious and dominant, it's going to screw you up over the long term. Yes. For me, uh, I tend to be very, I tend to get myself into jobs where part of my job is helping and serving so that I get to do my job effectively, submissively, not in a groveling, yes, ma'am, thank you, ma'am, no man way, ma'am way, but just that I help people get things that they need done. Therefore, I'm serving them. Therefore, I'm doing my job well. Therefore, people go, hey, Charlie, thanks. That worked out. You did a good thing. You helped me. And maybe they feel dominant about it, but mostly they just feel like they got what they wanted, which is what they needed, which is what I was there for. Wow. So it's compartmentalized, but it's also sort of unified. Gotcha. So rolling into or following that theme, and again, you've been doing this for a long time. So maybe if you don't really experience this now or don't need Mm -hmm. to do it now, maybe you can reach into your past and tell me, is there any rituals or practices that help you connect with your submissive mindset? And to maybe that enhances your overall experience. Do you still need to do that? I think when I was in college, submissive relationships, ritual was important. Ritual helped to really, I mean, as I always said, as I said before, I'm always submissive. That's always going to be a part of me. But to really bring that submission to the fore, to really bring myself into the submissive service mode to where I really felt ready to be fully submissive, good rituals like being collared or putting on the collar, kneeling at the start, Things that really said, I'm ready to do it, helped a lot. They put me in the headspace. And sometimes the clothing helped or the lack of clothing helped. Things that just really put me in the headspace of feeling like I was ready to be that thing for them. Yeah. And then the reverse of that, to come out of that enough to come back into the real world to drive home if necessary or whatever it was, those uncollarings, those taking off of the submissive blankets or whatever it is that allow me to put myself back into the after back to the aftercare and beyond the aftercare back to the real world mode yeah if you can't be quite that submissive don't say yes ma'am to your boss (laughs) (laughs) i've accidentally slipped oh yeah and they don't mind they usually don't mind and they probably don't even raise their eyebrows too much probably not Oh my God, that'd be hilarious. So what are your long-term goals or aspirations as a submissive? How do you envision your journey evolving and growing over time? You've already done this for a while. Do you still see yourself growing and learning more, obviously? Yeah, I hope so. Um, I, I'm not sure that my life practicalities will ever put me in a place where I'll be a full-time submissive again. I'm not sure that it's 
practical physically or just in terms of the structure of my life. I hope to document more of it. I'm still working and have been for 20 on years on a, a work that will document a little bit of what it is that we do. And it'll be somewhat from a submissive viewpoint, because that's the only viewpoint I have to take it from. It actually, strangely enough, though, will be from a female submissive viewpoint, but that's probably just because I feel like in some ways that's the more dangerous role to have in society. I think it's easier to be a male submissive than a female submissive. I think there's more risk, especially right now, uh, to be a female submissive, to, to give up your autonomy, to trust. It's harder to trust. There's too many men that are assholes out there. But I just, uh, I think I'm, I'm enjoying bottoming and what service I give as a service top, uh, which is a submissive role, and uh, service teaching and service uh, workshopping and uh, tastings gives me a little bit of that. But I'm not sure I could be collared again at this point in my life. It's a lot. You have to, I don't want to say it's a young man's game, but it's, it takes a lot. You have to give a lot to, and it's great to do it. And I enjoyed it and I did it, but I'm not sure I could see that again. Wow. Yeah. It's a whole nother level. Yeah. You have to have a lot going on. I agree. Over all of this, we've learned Mm -hmm. so, so much. And it's so nice to have, again, I don't think that a lot of people, mononormative people are like male submissive. What? So I'm glad that not only did we have a male submissive mm-hmm. bottom service job? Yep. All the things that come on, like your wealth of information is just staggering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Covey has such a vast <laughs> knowledge. And I mean, we could probably have him on every month and still <laughs> never cover everything Covey's done. One of the things that I appreciate about Covey is the mm-hmm. fact that you share your knowledge. And how I met you was at multiple mm-hmm. parties you were doing a tasting or I've seen you do tastings at VR and whatnot, you understanding of different fetishes. And I really would like to focus on a fetish or two that you'd like to share about your knowledge. So I guess that actually, I can go there. I can go there. Which one would you like to talk about? Or one I, of course my one that I lean towards is CBT, but Mm -hmm. no, I'm fascinated. There's four things that I think of that constitute the majority of my play. Fire cupping, which is very much a service, and I can talk about it, but it's weird because it's not a BDSM activity. It happens to be occurring at a BDSM event. It's a massage therapy. I mean, I don't do it. I don't practice it as an official massage therapist because I'm not licensed. State of Oregon, take note. But but it's not a BDSM activity. I do body drumming, which I love doing, pounding on people with different things, not to create pain, but mostly as a, and again, as a massage therapy, but that's more BDSM-y because it can go to different levels of pain, and or pleasure. It's a form of impact play. So yeah, uh, CBT, which I can talk about a lot. And obviously I've been very lucky to have a great practitioner who does it on me extensively. And, and my favorite, my second favorite, or even my favorite is mummification, which I enjoy for a variety of different reasons. My two favorite things that I enjoy when I'm playing as a bottom are CBT, which Michelle, my wife, always said, you just like that because you like people playing with your penis, uh, which is true, but you don't usually get to have all the fun you want with it. So it's very frustrating. But then again, I like that frustration. So that's a piece of it too. Um, I guess there's a, there's a piece of CBT, which is chastity, which is a whole other thing. It's a piece of submission because you take your boy's favorite toy and you give it up. You give up control of it 
to the dominant or the top. And that could be things like sounding, which I've experienced a fair amount in the past. I, I don't lately due to a medical condition, a little bit of a scarring on the inside, but sounding is very, very intriguing. People are very, very scared. Males are very scared of it. Why are they scared of it? Because their favorite toy is being invaded. It's their whole entire... It's their entire being. It's entire being. Thank you, Freud. It's your entire being. (laughs) And it's being penetrated by these objects going into it. But that's the incredible sensation of having your favorite toy being taken in that way. Chastity is the same thing. You're having your favorite toy controlled by somebody else, taken away from you. You Men touch their cock and balls all the fucking time. And if it's locked up and they can't, that's just a very big change. And that really takes the power dynamic of dominance and submission and says, you now aren't in control of this thing. You have given up this piece of power of this thing that you normally, for however long you've been alive, have been in control of. Suddenly you aren't. Somebody else has that. So so that's a big piece of it. And in CBT in general, and as I always point out, the, the CBT, the T can stand for a lot of different things. It doesn't have to stand for torture. It can stand for teasing or tantalizing, tormenting. So it is varying degrees of T in the CBT. The C and the B always stand for cock and balls in that context with a male. But uh, the T can be a lot of things. So having it tied up so that it's more blood engorged and much more sensitive, and then having it teased and frustrated and abused, not hard harshly abused again i'm a soft bottom <laughs> but gently abused is very uh, sexually exciting and also energy exciting in the sense that here's this all of your psychic energy is being focused on this part of your body and you don't have control over it this other person has control over it, especially if you're tied down or uh, transitioning to my one of my other favorite things is encasement mummification so I get wrapped up in cellophane, which is my favorite, or vet wrap, which takes a lot more time and is a lot more work, so therefore I'm less frequent, though I've had a couple of great scenes in vet wrap. I've never been plaster cast, but that's always something I've thought about out Any there. Any latex casting? like that? never done a latex painting thing. I wouldn't be opposed to it. I've been in a latex bag, a vacuum bag once. That How was is that? Great. It totally hits the button that is mummification, which is this sense of envelopment and tight hugging and total restriction and inability to move. So it's like rope, but it's just faster and more complete in some ways. It is visually wild. And visually, it's a lot of fun for people. Yeah. I love saran wrapping. Now, you take saran wrapping and on one level, just wrap me up and put me in a corner. That's one kind of scene where I'm just in that space where I'm totally wrapped. Or as is sometimes done, they cut out the genitals, not cut out, cut out the wrapping <laughs> of the gen, cut out the wrapping of the genitals, and then can have that play as well. So now I'm completely separated from that experience in the sense that I have absolutely no control over what's going on in that small space down there, away from me. And that's that's very powerful on an energy level, powerful on a sexual level, very frustrating, but that's okay. And very rarely, almost never, except by accident. Leads to any kind of completion. It's not about sexual release. It's about just that whole buildup. Mind space. Mind yeah. space. Yeah, That's that incredible. mind space of frustration. That's amazing. I'm just sitting here and just reflecting. I have experience watching you be mummified in a party, and it blew my mind. How to hear you talk about it even just adds that extra layer. So thank you so much for sharing that because that one actually I think it was my second house party. <laughs> It wow. was your birthday. Oh, it's <laughs> so, a birthday present for me, then I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And Happy uh, birthday. Yeah. <laughs> and I and this all obviously was all pre-COVID. Oh yeah. 
because everything is just now coming back in place. Uh, I wow, I'm speechless. But one of the things um people have been asking questions about regarding fetish knowledge or learning about a specific fetish. Where do you want to direct people to learn? Like, how could somebody learn about CBT since their classes haven't come back completely? Yeah. Where, what do your recommendations do you have? There are some great books on CBT. A couple of guys called the Naughty the Naughty Boys. I think that's their name. I'm not sure what their actual names are, but I think if you look them up by the Naughty Boys, they come up. Have done a couple of great books on CBT. There are some really good ones out there, and those will teach you techniques of CBT around rope CBT, around tying the genitals. In terms of learning about CBT, I think what you got to have is you have to find a partner who wants to play with it. And who enjoys, I mean, I have been incredibly lucky beyond my wildest dreams to have one specific partner who loves to do what I love to have done. The first time she did it, I was like, oh my God, that was great. What can I do for you? Because the assumption was I had so much fun. Thank you. How do you get to have fun? And it was like, no, that was fun for me. I had as much fun as you had. And that was like the perfect Thing to find out that she could have as much fun doing to me what I had as much fun having done to me. Wow. That's been a gift. It's been a gift for many years that I've just enjoyed immensely. I think to learn about things like that, to learn about anything, you have to find somebody willing to learn along. Most of these things, and if you don't get into edge play at the very extreme, Games, you're not going to get hurt doing them. With CBT, there's certain rules, you know, don't tie stuff up for five hours. Make sure it's not too tight. If it starts to turn black, open it. Just basic common sense things. Don't use knives on delicate spots. When the balls are tied tight, they become much more sensitive, much more delicate. You can kick a person in the balls if they're not tied and everything moves around and kind of flexes and goes and uh, people do ball kicking and live to do it again. Uh, if you tie them up, you can break them. So there's common sense things. And most every book on it will tell you all the dangerous things to know. And then beyond that, just having someone to experiment with, so having somebody who wants to do it, or if they don't like it as much as a person I was lucky enough to find, are willing to do it for you and then have something that they want you to do for them and exchange your knowledge that way. Mummification is the same principle, just obviously don't go over the face unless you know the fuck you're doing. Is that you? Plastic bags over the face is how people die. It's how the mafia kills people. Don't do that. But beyond that, people are always worried that I'm going to get too hot when I'm uh, cellophane, but actually I don't. I'm usually just about the right temperature, but some people can overheat or, or get underheat. So there's obviously safety issues around body temperature when you're doing something like that. And there's safety issues around almost every single activity we do. I don't tend to call them fetishes because I go back to the sense that the official definition of fetish is that you need it for sexual gratification. I think these are activities that I damn well enjoy a lot, <laughs> but I don't need them. I can do fine without them, but I did. But yeah, the activities we do all have some levels of danger if you do something really stupid. Otherwise, they're mostly pretty benign. Where do you suggest people might go? Because I know the three of us kind of, we're all in the yeah. same area. We know yeah. it's out there. But where would you suggest that people go to find like-minded individuals? Are we saying go to the clubs and get to talking? Are we saying go to vet life and get to talking? Like, where do you feel? It's, tough. it's a tough environment right now. Really Munches are a great place to go to meet people and talk about things. And you can talk about stuff all you want in a munch. 
can't do it in a bunch, obviously, but you can talk about it. You can show some pictures on your phone if you have them. <laughs> As one of my doms <laughs> loves to show her pictures, she reminds people, I can't unshow you this once you've seen it, but I can show it to you. <laughs> All of Sarah's family. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, keep that phone locked if you've got those pictures. Uh, I think you can go to FetLife, but you have to know that it's a, an environment that anybody can be on. I joke about these 23-year-old dominants who have never done anything in real life but are sure that they know everything. Um, I'm an online dog. Yeah, okay. So you have to gauge it. There are groups that in the group for the different activities, there are discussions, and you'll find in those discussions, you quickly can see who seems to know what the fuck they're doing and who doesn't and go that way. There are no organizations really right now who are doing a good job on educating. Hopefully that will change at some point in the future. Yeah. The Portland Leather Association had an education mandate at one time. It seems to have slipped on it quite a bit. It puts on a great event. It's got workshops in it. The workshops at PLA tend to be great. I don't go to them anymore. They're pretty much repetitive at this point. But um, although I always used to say I can go to a workshop that I've seen five times and learn one more thing, um, and you can so an event like that, which is not inexpensive, but does have two full days of workshops or actually two and a half full days of workshops are some great learning opportunities. And you can learn by watching play in a public setting. And there's two great dungeon parties at that event where you'll see world-class stuff done and stupid stuff done too. But <laughs> um, but that's, there'll be dungeon monitors there. And if it's done, you can pull a dungeon monitor aside away from the scene and ask them a question about it. Or you can wait till the scene is completely over and the aftercare is over and the scene is done and approach the person who did it and say, can I ask you some questions about that? And they probably will answer them or not if they're assholes. Who knows? But someday, hopefully there'll be an organization that will take care of trying to bring more workshops on a monthly basis back and teach. I think I think what we've come to yeah. find too is that the munches are I think we feel the safest attempt at getting into it because like you yeah. said you can talk about it all you want yeah. you can share all you want you can, nothing can be done so right. these people that have impulse problems that are yeah. immediately like right now let's do yeah. it right now no. are forced to slow down yeah. and not get their cake and ice cream yeah. in the same day and i recommend never leaving a munch with somebody you just met that night at the munch no, please don't unless they, that you have fed them very well with three or four people you personally know at that same munch who know that person and will vouch for them in the mafia way where if the person does something wrong they will come and kill them for you <laughs> that kind of vouching it's important to vet people yeah, yeah i've been to i've been to parties or uh, my actual house parties where things have gone wrong uh, the it was never really because of the person intended it was that i know of uh, that it was just the scene got out of hand or the person didn't know their health was a factor but i am pretty much going to parties house parties that you know the people can trust at least one or two people in the house party mm -hmm. it's safe i would agree with that yeah, I think uh, parties in general, and even to go to one of the club parties, what it is that we do, unfortunately, is being practiced in venues that are dedicated to swinging, whether it's the Sanctuary or Velvet Rope or Pravada. These are locations not dedicated to our community that choose to host single night events around the theme of our community, Yes, but attract people from our community and 
people who are interested in our community and people who are just there to look and people who are there to take advantage of the people that are in our community thinking that because you're kinky, you're somehow a slut uh, and therefore more available and therefore more likely to go home with them or fuck them in a back room of a sex club. Unfortunately, and that doesn't mean you can't see things there and talk to people about things there and learn things there. And in some cases, there are tastings and you can get a try of a small little taste of something. It's not a scene. I keep reminding people tastings are not scenes. They're a chance to taste what it is that we do, get a sense of do I like how a flogger feels on my back for the first time ever? Oh, I could probably do more of that. I could probably do that harder someday with somebody else. You get a taste. Do I like impact on my butt? Do I like this or that? And from that, they can explore that more. Yeah. It's not easy. It wasn't easy when I got into the scene either. There were a couple of house parties. There weren't that much going on, and it was hard to get into the house parties. You kind of had to go to the munches a few times and get to know people and have them invite you to the house party. And usually you came as somebody's guest. You came with them, you left with them, they were responsible for you the whole time you were there. If you fucked up, it was considered a fuck up by them and could reflect on them, things like that. Um, but you grew and expanded and you got to go to other parties and you got to meet other people. Then private play, which is has to be vetted very carefully. With people I'm you- still down for that version of it. I love the yeah. vetting. I love the whole accountability Yeah, in that That's scenario. Important. Yeah. yeah, it's important. Other parts too, like I know that I have recently, I got into Shibari. Mm-hmm. I want to learn more. My partner wants to learn more. And look at your Facebooks. You yeah. can actually type in the search bar, mm-hmm. BDSM, Shibari, blah, blah, blah. And you can get into these groups. And as we were saying, not only can you just sit back and you know, be a quiet little mouse in the corner and read what's going on and gain information that way too, they do offer. They'll have, hey, there's this class, there's this, there's this, that. And if you're serious about it, and you want to be educated, understand that money is going to have to be involved for you to get your education at times. And those are going to be more appropriate than going to, I'm not saying it's not, I still no. say go to a BDSM night at a sex club, go watch, do the things, see if you're interested, get a tasting, but it's going to be, you're going to be more serious about it. And it's going to impart, I think, more information when you're mm-hmm. paying money for it. You're not going to want to go and be like, this sucked. <laughs> you're you're making it important for yourself. Yeah, so. exactly. You're giving it an implied value. Yeah, and I just again the class that I just went to was amazing and very mm-hmm. informative. And they have 101s and 102s and 103s, and you just yeah. keep going. And I think we're just in this headspace in the world right now where it's like, well, I should just have it. I should just have access. This entitlement, instant access. Yeah, yes. instant, instant gratification. Yes. Yeah. Oh. You know, if you want to be serious about it, you're going to have to put in some time and energy. Yeah, and. Maybe and Realize that the mass media visions of it are are totally wrong in almost every case, unfortunately. It's the tabloid version. Yeah, I'm working on it. Give me another 10 (laughs) years. Give me another 10 years. If I don't die first, I might get it done. Perfect. I know that when we were doing research for this season, Jenna and I actually joined a couple online versions of how to be a dominatrix, how to be a submissive. And after watching the videos, they were great for beginners. Mm-hmm. But if you are in it for the healing and getting into your own body and spirit, I, I don't see how they would have helped. <laughs> yeah, Maybe except for I learned a couple of techniques on how to hit people better. Yeah, I would think learning how to be a submissive would be a really hard thing to learn 
feels very it, against your nature as yeah, it is. Anything, yeah. Good anything, at it. Yeah, you'd you have to learn it by doing it, and you'd have to do it with somebody you trusted. There are things you can learn about what to watch for, what to do better, what to do that will help you fall into the role better. But I think in the end, you have to do it. So you have to find somebody who wants to be a dominant and you practice being their submissive. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to do the work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You it's not like 50 work. shades of gray. You just fall right into oh. it. Yeah. It's not like that. And if you're <laughs> well, if you enough to find a billionaire dominant, maybe you just negotiate it right and make it work and hope that they're not insane. Or in damage. He, he wasn't insane. He wasn't insane in 50 shades. He was just spoiled rotten for being rich. You don't and, find that was grooming by that billionaire dude that was way over older than the 18 year old virgin that he actually sought out and then like whisked into his world and then breached the contract anyway. Yeah, there were some places where he failed. I would give you that. <laughs> there were some places where he failed. Movie worse than the book. Some of all oh, yeah. was I don't like yeah. any of it. I'm sorry. But she wasn't, she did not come from our world. No. She didn't have a very clear understanding of what it is that we do or why it is that we do what it is that we do. Yeah. No, it was sexualized. And it was very sexualized. And, and, it, was like and, and, and it was basically BDSM as a set piece for something totally different. Bad rom com. For the vehicle of the story. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I agree. This yeah. has been absolutely wonderful. Sarah, okay. do you have any more? I think we're good. I've learned a lot <laughs> and I appreciate the knowledge. Oh my God. I appreciate you, Charlie, so much for coming on here and sharing oh, really your welcome. wealth of knowledge with our listeners. There oh. is one other thing. Oh, what I is? just thought of. Yes. So one of the things where this intersects with something that you somewhat covered or maybe will cover more is polyamory. Separate, separate polyplay than the willingness to play with more than one person, even if you're in a monogamous relation with some, with someone. I'm married to a submissive. So we can't do for each other this dynamic. We have to seek it out elsewhere. So poly is an absolutely integral part of our marriage because it needs to be. So we need to get this somewhere other than from our spouse. So that's a piece of it. Yeah, well, that's you, my piece too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. And, and, my husband is not, and my partner is. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. Anyway, a that's just a, a whole other, <laughs> a whole other subject, <laughs> whole other subject. I we're looking forward to doing a polyamorous. It might be more than one episode. Oh, it's, it's yeah. deep. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, yeah, it's very deep. I, I, although I'll tell you, we want to compare it to mass media. That there's probably ninety percent of films, television shows, where something goes wrong, Polly would have signed it. Oh my God. <laughs> you, know, you just watch it go, oh, there's another fucking script that Polly would have solved. <laughs> no movie here. You just had Polly. <laughs> I cannot so many times. I'm like, well, if you guys just had the conversation about an open relationship, you guys would be totally fine. Be all done. This for each other all the time. Every fucking time I see one, I was like, Polly would save the day. But exactly. Let's just cheat on each other instead. Yeah. And everything. then not have any sort of adult communication growth and or trust consent but that's fine exactly. i digress <laughs> nope that's exactly the theme anyway that's all I'm that's good. a very thank you for adding that because i think that's yeah. a very important factor to think yeah. about you know the house for parties us, yeah. 
Yeah. We do see a lot of the, the poly play couples that I know that they come and then they get their play from other people, which is pretty awesome to see. I'm a voyeur at heart when it comes to these parties and I like watching and learning and I'm a, I love to study people and you know, that um, it's, that really helps a lot and fulfilling that part of me at least. So Sarah and I like to do this thing at the end where we mm -hmm. say, what's your mic drop moment? What's that thing wax poetic about what you think is the most important for people to know out there from your point of view as a bottom or submissive. That's a tough one. That's <laughs> You've a got a lot one. to share. That's a tough one. <laughs> what um, would you, you need a bullet point and a freaking PowerPoint interview. <laughs> let's take this from a different perspective. It's easy to want to do what it is that we do for some of the reasons that you described in the scenes you described for having people look at you for posing and standing and posing or playing and posing or posing and playing. I catch myself if I'm ever doing something in scene and find myself looking around the room. That tells me I'm not where I should be. I'm not with the person that I have a responsibility to. And, there, and then there's pleasure. There's wanting to do things for pleasure, whether it's sexual pleasure or the different endorphins, energies that come from play. They're all different reasons people do things, um, and some of them are. And, and whatever the whatever guides you, whatever makes you want to do it. I know I, I, for me, a little bit of it is actualizing something I know is inside me. I like to submit, and I like to serve, and I like to do that. I don't want to do it for somebody who doesn't enjoy having somebody submit, having somebody serve. That seems wasteful to me. I want to do it for somebody who's going to go, oh, wow, that was a great gift that you gave me of your service. That was a great gift that you gave me of your submission. And it made me feel more powerful. You gave me some of your energy. You gave me some of your power. You exchanged some of your power to me, and it gave me more strength. And the thing is that it's not pie. I gave it, but I still have it. They got it. So there's more of it. I didn't lose it by giving it. So I can submit. I don't become weaker by submitting. I become as strong as I was. And if I get the joy of knowing I've made somebody else stronger, I actually get stronger from it. So we all end up growing. So for me, that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to grow with other people by giving them what I can give them. That's yeah. it. I love that. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and your education and your knowledge and your willingness. Yeah. But all right. I think it's time to say, be good humans. That's it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. I'll try to be a good in. human. <laughs> Hi, guys. Thanks for listening and supporting our podcast. You can listen to us on Spotify and iTunes, and of course, on our website at orgasmictourist.com. Please don't forget to help us out by sharing our podcast and leaving a five-star review. As always, you can send us an email with your questions and comments to orgasmictourist at gmail.com.